Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Hello and welcome to Headliner Radio, where we are delighted to be joined by NAM President and CEO Joe Lamond. Uh, Joe, thanks so much for taking the time out of your, uh, what I imagine is a very busy schedule at the moment, uh, to, to have a chat with us. Um, how are you and uh, whereabouts are you joining us from? I'm in San Diego and it's so interesting to be planning a NAM show here in April. That is like, you know, all our cycles are completely thrown off by this. But yeah, we're basically at this point. I don't know when people hear this or see this, but about five weeks off from the show, this would normally be like the December frenzy that we would be going through right now. And it's just so weird to be doing it in the springtime. Yeah, it must be incredibly odd to to be kind of going through all of this at a different time in the year because it's it's been such a staple, hasn't it, for so many years at that time of year. It must must be really odd. I've been going for 40 years and it's been in January. You know, it just if you stop and think, because it's been two years now since all this started, it's just the whole thing has become sort of like a, can time space continuum it's just hard to actually piece all this together so as weird as it feels it just kind of feels par for the course for the way the last two years have gone you know <laughs> yeah absolutely um i mean what can you tell us about how how kind of planning has come together for this show because you know aside from the obvious time difference you know it's taking place yeah. at a very different time in the year has the pl- has the planning process felt largely like business as usual or have you kind of had to change your approach to kind of planning and organizing the show this year? Yeah, I almost look at it as a startup. It's very interesting because it had been very consistent, you know, as far as my memory goes. Um, But this year, because of so many differences, not having done one in a couple of years, um, labor pool has completely changed over, not only in the people we work with producing the show, but in in a lot of the companies that we work with. There's been such turnover within the companies. We're working with a lot of our exhibitors who have teams now that have never done a show. And so there's just a lot of muscle memory that was lost um, during the last two years. So it does feel like a startup in some ways. It will be um, like a startup. It's going to be a lot smaller. I mean, I think we're maybe half the size of what it was in 2020. I think 2020 might have been the high point of of 120 years of MAMS history. And now we need to reset and find that balance again. Um, but so it feels in many ways... And that's why I use that term transformation and tradition. There's so many things that are being transformed in the industry. Yet at the same time, some of our most fundamentals, you know, school music, live music and concerts, people coming together around music are very traditional. So I I see these two worlds. We have a foot in in each one right now. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting. The, the looking at it as, as being a bit like a startup. I mean, does that kind of, obviously we, you know, everyone would much rather events of the past two years not happened. But ha- having ha- been forced into this situation that we're in, yeah. does this kind of open up any opportunities to try new things or to refresh certain ideas? Is there a little bit of a, a feeling of starting from not necessarily a clean slate? Because obviously there are hallmarks of the NAM show that you want to maintain and that will always be a cornerstone of the show. But does it give you a bit of an opportunity to go, right, we're going to view this with fresh eyes there are new people involved are there any opportunities and, and positives that can be taken from, from the, uh, i think the that's approach to this we've all looked at this last this period has been a real um time of of introspection and an analysis in a way in companies as well i mean uh, the industry um how can we do things differently how can we do things better i think from our perspective what i'm seeing and i have this kind of this unique position of seeing all the companies from 
you know, like traditional band member companies like guitars and keyboards and drums to the, the you know, software and technology and touring companies, everything is in between. And everyone that I see is trying to figure out what has changed permanently, <laughs> what is going to come back to the way it was because human nature, you really don't mess too much with human nature, right? That's pretty, you can always, it's a safe bet to bet on certain things people will want to do. And what is still in this temporary um, distortion, like supply chain, um, the fact that, you know, a lot of companies have been just working diligently just to fill the existing order pipeline. And yet others have been diligently inventing and innovating and, and have a lot of new products to come out with. So what's changed permanently? What is sort of distorted in this middle that will ultimately work itself out in the next year, 18 months? And what is going to come back to fundamental human nature. So we're an association, right? That's technically what NAM is. And if you take that to its most pedantic level, we help people associate. <laughs> so helping bring people together so that they can, on this platform, do all those things they they need to do to advance their own interests, their careers, their businesses. Um, the fundamentals of, I think, NAM's work is still to bring people together and help them associate. Uh, how we do that is it a large open floor plan with mega booths or is it more about um, we're seeing a, a real demand this June for companies that simply want to have meeting rooms. They just want to get together with manufacturer, distributor and, and retailer and simply meet and discuss, okay, how do we come out of this together? How do we work together to grow our markets, grow, you know, music making. So we're seeing, there's companies who still want that traditional exhibit, but we're seeing a real growth in areas that are more just creating a, a business platform. And so that's going to be a, an area that's built out of the show. Fundamentally, there's still a lot of live music. I, there's still the pro audio pool party at the Marriott. I mean, there's that kind of human nature side that people really do want to get together. And like I said, I've been traveling about a month now, various events, some industry events and the Grammys. And my view is that, when people are actually back together again, and I still think that's new for a lot of people, especially international travel has still been pretty um, cautious, right? But when people are actually back together again, there's a euphoria <laughs> that is actually palpable. And um, I think there's a lot of, um, we missed that. I think the pandemic took a lot of that away from us, the ability to just be together, share, commiserate, get excited about the industry and what we're doing and deal with the challenges that we all have. Like I say, I don't think there's a company that got through this without some tremendous, tremendous challenge. And I'm included. I mean, not doing a show for a whole year was a, was a tough, that was a tough one after having not interrupted that pattern since world war two. That's uh, those are tough ones. So you got companies that are trying to just go, go, go as fast as they can to fill orders because the demand is so strong. 2021 might've been in the U S anyway, the strongest year for music instruments in, in our history. And you've got pro audio companies or touring or even some of the school music that were impacted by shutdowns and, and inability to bring people together in groups. And their challenges are completely separate. Sometimes how do we survive? How do we, how do we get through this patch? So there's not a NAM member or an industry friend that we have out there that hasn't been impacted, but boy, they have all had such different experiences. And I think that's what coming together helps us, share all that, make sense of it and look over the edge and go, what's next? 
Yeah. Everyone was ready to put this behind us. We are so ready. Everyone wants to know what's what's coming next, because I do believe there's going to be a very strong growth period ahead of us after something like this. Historically, that's what happens. After something like this, we have a very strong runway ahead of us for those who take advantage of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think that makes absolute sense that, that you would anticipate that provided we don't have any more COVID-related setbacks, that there will hopefully be a surge um, in the in the market. But I think that, or rather I imagine that appetite for the show from those who are attending must be stronger than ever in some ways because there will be people who understandably may still be wary of traveling or uh, traveling from certain parts of the world where there might still be restrictions on getting into, uh, you know, in, in and out of their, you know, their, their respective countries. But for those who are attending the show, I imagine the, that appetite to be back in a room at the, at the pool party on the Friday night, that kind of thing is, um, I, I imagine that when, when people actually are there together again for the first time in a couple of years, it will be a, a really, kind of fantastic moment and and that people will be looking forward to it perhaps more than ever before. I think that's what you're going to see. Um, like I said, I, I know it will be smaller and maybe that's just the way it should be right now. You know, maybe um, more focused on the people who are actually in the room doing the business. Right. But um, yeah, I think what you'll see in June is the, <laughs> the ones that if I were an investor, I'd put money on. Because, <laughs> um, you know, again, there's still this, you're right. There are some, that are, it's funny here in the States, the large publicly traded companies, especially a lot of the tech companies are very hesitant to even come back to office. Um, they're being very slow. The Googles, the Facebooks, they're just very slow. Apple even come back to office. There's this hesitancy on the big companies part to get out. And I'm not quite sure why. On the other hand, the entrepreneurial class, the up and coming, those who are really running running hard right now, they're seizing opportunities. I mean, I can tell you there's some guitar companies that are going to be there in June that are going to have more opportunity to sell guitars to dealers because some of the other companies are not going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think what we're going to be seeing is the creation of another new class of industry leaders that have in time, maybe may take 20, 30 years, we look back in this moment, but you're going to see the birth of the next Taylor Guitars or the next, you know, some up and coming company that got that rung, got that foot in the rung because of this opportunity. And so the incubation part of all this and the innovation, that's what you're going to see in June, I think. Um, we'll see. But I think that's my that's my projection. Yeah. I mean, have you seen or kind of heard, you know, through the grapevine that, you know, people wanting to make the most of that opportunity? Because it's a really good point that there will be certain companies whether that's in guitars whether it's in pro audio whatever corner of the the show it may be with the absence of certain companies particularly if they're some of the more dominant uh companies in their respective markets that there are others going do you know what this is a great opportunity we may not have done that before but this is our time to do it is there have you seen any kind of increase in first-time exhibitors or first-time attendees yeah that's exactly what we're seeing so things like the guitar boutique showcase where new upcoming luthiers are going to have more oxygen in the room than they might have ever had. Yeah. Um, same thing with some software developing music. You know, the way music was made and, and shared during the pandemic just accelerated, right? I mean, all the home recording, uh, all the devices that we all now have on our computers, plus the, the software to run it. That's That was a real growth area for us, and we're seeing that too. Excellent. Over the past, well, prior to the pandemic, for the past couple of years, there'd been a, 
a, a bit of a surge in pro audio uh, presence at the show. There's the, the dedicated pro audio uh, halls and, you know, from people that I'd spoken to personally on the ground there, it seemed like everybody was incredibly excited by what was going on in the pro audio front in them. It was really kind of boosting its offering there. Is that something that we will see again this year? Is that something that will be kind of picked up where it left off? With a, I, Again, I understand that the show itself will be smaller, but is that focus on pro audio going to continue to grow? That was, that was sort of what we would call our crossroads vision. The idea that all of this works together in one ecosystem from the musical instruments to the sound, the stage, the lighting, the technology, everything really works together. That was really our, our thought. <clears throat> so the growth there was very um, strategic and, and, and very helpful bringing things like the Parnelli awards where we're honoring all the touring professionals, tech awards, honoring the people and products that are driving that industry, uh, making all that part of the essential part of being at the show. All that's there and it is growing still. I think the challenge for us on that side this year is actually a happy challenge in a way, because um, that, group very much prefers January to get together okay. for their cycle. And having not been on the road, many of the event technology companies were the ones impacted the most by the inability to gather in any kind of groups. So knock on wood, what we're seeing right now is they're out, they're going out working again. Um, my understanding is that there are more tours scheduled for this summer than probably any time in history. And it's, it's going to, limit some of the ability for them to come to see our show. Now, if they're in the area and they can swing by. So, uh, you know, happily those people that would normally be there in January, a lot of them are out working for the first time Mm. in two years or or sporadically for the last couple of years. So we're actually very happy for that, that they're out working, but it's unfortunate that, you know, and maybe I'll tell a story about how we arrived in June. Cause that's sort of a, how did that happen? Right. I mean, was it just like, Oh, let's just do a show in June. Like, yeah, these things take a long time to plan. And when we had the state of California shut down large events, so they prohibited us from doing anything in 21. And so that's kind of a tough decision, but it's not a real tough decision because someone else made it for you. Yeah. <laughs> the governor said no <laughs> events in California. Okay. Well, that sucks, but we'll have to figure it out, but at least it's done in 22. When we were trying to make this decision in August of last year, that's how long in advance you have to actually commit to the space and all the money goes hard and all that. We were in the middle of this new thing called Delta. We hadn't even heard of Omicron yet. So this new variant was coming around. And our governor said, again, no events of over 5,000 people in California. And so we were trying to project, would he loosen that up by January? And there was no indication that he would. Delta was growing. And of course, then we had Omicron, which sealed that deal. So we worked with our friends in Anaheim and said, could we get any other dates in 22? We just don't want to skip a whole year. Is there anything, anything at all where you can shoehorn us in because we need two whole weeks there between setup show and load up. And that's not hard. That's very difficult to do because there's usually five different groups in there, a medical convention alongside a sporting group alongside. So they had to move a bunch of groups and they said, okay, we found some dates for you in June. And we're like, well, either do nothing in 22 or do something in June, even if it's going to be off cycle and a special edition one off. So look, as an association, we've got to help people associate. We're going to, let's do it in June. Let's take a flyer and see if we can bring as many people together who want to in June. So that was made last August. So that's how this happened. And then we looked at, well, 23, can we get right back to January? And we said, well, the way these variants are going, it might be another one. Winter seems to be the time. And if we just did one in June, how can we do one again in six months later? 
So that's when we thought, well, let's see if we can find dates in the split the difference. We found April for 23. Mm. That's going to be a weird one. I mean, around Easter and all these other holidays. So it isn't until 2024 that we're back in our normal normal run of January dates. So from 2020 to the biggest show we'd ever done, largest global gathering we'd ever seen, to no show in 2021, to this one-off in June, special edition in June of 22, <laughs> a bridge to April of 23, nine months later, and then nine months after that, January of 24 again. That is one hell of a hero's journey we had to go on <laughs> just to get back. So again, historians will look like they're still debating the true impact of the French Revolution. So I'm sure historians will debate this one forever. But that's that was the context. I always like sharing it. How did that happen? Was it just, you know, did Joe wake up at 3 a.m. with a, a wild hair? No, it's like this is a, knowing how far in advance we had to plan these and working with our board and our key partners. And no one was happy with any of them. Completely, right? There was always some that were for and some against. However, we felt in this, in 2022, skipping another year would not have been good for the industry. Just would have, it would have been a signal to the industry that we're not, we're not, we're not back. We're not, we're not well, we're not healthy. So regardless, we felt our obligation as an association to bring it, you know, do something in 22 and not, and not skip. Could have been easier to skip and just let it go. But that's, as drummers, we don't take the easy route generally. <laughs> if I had, had thought about that, I would have been a lead singer. But no, we, we generally take, that's, what's the right thing to do here? That's kind of one of our codes. What's the right thing to do here? We thought, we need to bring as many people together that want to safely as we can. So we do something in 22. So. No, I mean, that's, that's really interesting to hear about how those dates came about. And I think that it's, I think for the people that are there, of course, when you, when you take something that's been a mainstay at a particular time of year for over a century, if you put a new date, it's going to, it's not going to work for some, it's going to work for others. But for those who are there, it's, I think it will be really special and it'll be really important. And um, absolutely. I think if it was, if it was that or no show at all, I think everyone would would certainly uh, put their hand up for, for having something, you know? Um, And I, I, I was kind of as an extension of that, actually, I'm curious to know how you've, developed the digital element of the show because you know we saw a number of shows in uh well in 2020 and through 2021 that either did digital shows or did these kind of hybridized uh in-person stroke digital shows is that something that you'll be incorporating this year with nam yeah we have that it's called nam show plus and it'll be the the digital version of being at the nam show which is you know a simulation not the not the real thing we created Believe in Music in 2021 when we knew we wouldn't do a show. We wanted to do something over that time period in January. So I thought about what do people seemingly enjoy about the NAMP show the most? New products, education, and um, you know, the idea of the networking, however you explain it, networking, career opportunities, the events and parties, pool party, for example. Hard to put that on a balance sheet, but that's how careers are made sometimes. You know, So there's that new product, which is real draw, education advance your career. And then that third leg of, you know, just people being in the industry, meeting others, finding your next path. So we tried to approximate that digitally and that was believe. And so, you know, 
it had, you know, the idea of a host desk, kind of like the Olympics, had a host desk, and we'd send you off to this education class and you'd go over to see an exhibitor's new products and see some videos on demos. Um, lots of networking chat rooms that were off to the side. Hey, how are you doing? Are you guys okay? Are you healthy? You know, all that kind of chatter that would have occurred in the Hilton bar was, you know, happening in these, in these chat rooms. So that was interesting. And I think the first year in 21 would believe we found it that we picked up a lot of new countries that must have had an interest in them and had not been able to traditionally to travel to, to Anaheim. So I think we had something like 188 countries participate, which is about 50 more than we would see physically at a NAM show. And so I thought that had an interesting benefit of reach further into, you know, maybe smaller countries or again, com- countries that, that it's more difficult to travel to California. So that's, is what NAB Show Plus will pick up for us, those extra countries. So exhibitors and the education, will be able to share that much more broadly. And it'll be things from the show floor, streaming education. And, you know, you could argue in 2020, there was a digital show anyway. There was probably hundreds of thousands of hours uploaded to YouTube you know, almost daily from the show floor. It used to be a new product would, would be debuted on the NAB Show floor, you know, a magazine would pick it up shortly after the dealer would see it, you know, a month or so or two later when it got shipped. Now you put on a new product at NAV show because of social, it's out 90 seconds later around the whole world. And that's what a lot of people use that that platform for. Um, so you could argue we've already had had a digital show for a long time. We've been streaming a lot of the education, but this will be a more formal approach to it. Um, inside access, um, again, from exhibitors that are want to have um, intimate events, but still stream them, um, education, new products, and and networking. So that's NAMM Show Plus. I don't think it would ever take the place of going because that's such a different immersion. If you are going, you'll use NAMM Show Plus as a kind of a digital aid. You know, it'll help you schedule. It'll help you connect with someone who might be in one hall. You can see on the app that, oh, you just want to go to this other hall and see them. Um, you can actually be watching sessions while you're going to another meeting. So NAMM Show Plus to someone who's in Anaheim will be a digital aid and, and enhance the experience. So those that aren't there will do the best to make it a, an experience, but that's like describing a sunrise. <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't have to see it. Um, those who are there will have the full on NAM experience and those using the digital tool will have an enhanced experience with NAM Show Plus. Okay, great. I mean, it, you mentioned there, you know, certain parts of the world who where perhaps it's more difficult to get to California or, just for whatever reason, you don't see a huge amount of people coming in from those parts of the world. Is there an opportunity there to 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 create content that specifically tailors for their needs, where you kind of know that the number of people coming from that that area is going to be pretty low, so you can uh, kind of tailor something for them, or is that just too much of a challenging thing? Because then you end up uh, with another job on top of trying to create the actual show itself and the 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 kind of the core content that you're creating anyway. That is such an interesting question, and it really speaks to the can you create an experience for a digital attendee that is even in the remote galaxy the same as someone who's physically attending? So one of the ways to do that would be to tailor custom content and education and language, um, something that's related to that particular market. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the one of the most viewed parts of Believe, and we're going to, you know, I think capitalize on that in NAMM Show Plus is the actual live music. And so what we did with, with Believe, and we had music virtually from performances country by country around the world for 24 hours. Mm. And literally the bands would stream a song and then they would introduce, we're in India, we're now heading over to, 
you know, that we're handing off to this band in Singapore, you know, and they would literally then both would pop up. Hey, thanks for the handoff. Okay. Now they would play their song. And now we're going to hand off to a band, some friends of ours in Japan, and they would hand off. And this global live stream was just such a hoot to see. I mean, some of it was great, unbelievably unique music, but the camaraderie of the bands as they handed it off from country to country and literally went around the globe. Now, does that, is that commerce? Is that launching a new product? Is it, you know, uh, creating a new you know, distribution network for your new, new product? Not really, but it sure is the heart of what we do and celebrating that all musicians are actually partners in all this. So the global live stream is something we'll keep doing. It was, that was one of those happy accidents out of believe that, that, that there's this camaraderie of musicians around the world. So creating custom content. And so we'd see a bump in India when that band was playing. And then you'd see a bump in, you know, as the, as this thing went around the world, um, very interesting to, to, to unify the musicians part of all this um, through our global live stream. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I was also curious to know if on the music education front, that was something that had experienced any, any kind of increase in popularity perhaps during uh, the past couple of years, because with people being locked down and obviously not yeah. being able to get out and, you know, uh, play music or, or meet people in person, has there been an, an increase in people perhaps wanting to up their music education, whether it's developing their skills that, that they developing skills they may already have or picking up new instruments and wanting to take on virtual lessons or anything like that is, is that something yeah. that's, that's been going on? There's two parts of that. I think from the industry education side, what we saw was a shift towards topics that were urgent. How do I transfer my lesson program from in-person to online? Specifically, how do I access this government aid program for store closures? I mean, very much based on I have a certain urgent need right now and I want to get educated on how to address it. So from the trade side, we saw NAM University and, and the ability to reach out not only to the industry, but to music educators about that, how to safely reopen your classroom. We funded a study with many others that um, demonstrated how music class can be opened safely, studied the aerosols that happen when people are singing or performing. And with those guidelines, schools were reopened so kids could get back to playing music again. So things that were very specific, we saw a lot of. On the, on the end user side, boy, the explosion of apps to learn how to play guitar, ukulele, how to record at home. Um, I think it was an explosion of hobbyist music making, maybe that we've never seen, maybe since the Beatles, maybe ever, that you, uh, a weird, strange combination. Government's told everybody, stay home. Okay. Oh, stay home and here's some money. Okay. What do I do now? always wanted to play guitar. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I remember Chris Martin, who was our chair during that spring, chair of the board, you know, April comes along and is shut down. He shuts the Martin factory down and doesn't know what's going to happen. You know, the whole industry froze, remember? And then like a week later, these orders start flying in and he goes, bring everybody back quick. <laughs> you got to get the factory going. I mean, talk about the yin and the yang from, you know, we're not even sure how this is going to work to all of a sudden, oh my God, bring everybody three shifts a day. We got to make as many guitars as possible. I mean, who saw that coming? Right. Um, so the idea that, that online learning both traditionally from a music teacher in classrooms that were able to move online with lots of instruction, including help from them um, to just that YouTube 
rabbit hole of, you know, I just want to play is is over the rainbow on a ukulele and people were playing. It was awesome. I mean, now the trick is, and if you're a guitar manufacturer or in a music store, I think I'd be thinking quite carefully about this. We created a legion of new players or at least hobbyists. They, they had the interest enough to go buy one and maybe get past the callus stage, learn a few chords. Yeah. We got to keep them playing. How do we, it's always been about more to start, fewer to quit, right? That's the, how you grow the whole industry, get more people to start playing music and get fewer of them to put it in the closet and stop playing. Well, the pandemic, ironically, and all the actions that governments took to address it, created a, a wave of more to start. Yay. Now the emphasis shifts a little bit because that's traditionally it's been about school music, get people started. You know, that's where the industry's focus has primarily been, get more to start. But now, and there's been programs like Weekend Warriors that, that we did at NAM that kept people about all new guitars. We don't want them in closets. We don't want them stuck under yeah. beds um, or, you know, never playing again. We got these people to play and we want to keep them playing. There was an old joke that one of my mentors, Carl Bruni, used to say that um, because of the success of school music programs in the U.S. that, you know, and basically once school was over, people would put these clarinets in their closet, right? There wasn't a real uh, aggressive plan as a young 20 something to get out and play your clarinet. Now you might've played it in school, but so his, his running kind of, you know, ironic joke was that if you could wire every clarinet in the United States with a small explosive charge detonated it all at once, closets all over America would blow up (laughs) because they got put there. We want to have programs and opportunities for people to continue playing, even if it's just a hobby around the campfire or around the, you know, uh, holiday piano. Um, So giving fewer to quit right now is a very important topic. And I, and I think it'll be talked a lot about it at the June show. How do we, how do we keep these newfound, you know, people into our world playing and, you know, going back into the store and maybe participating in lessons and maybe upgrading that guitar to another one. And, you know, that's, that's what we're, I think that's a very important topic for June. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was really interested by that, you know, cause I, I thought that there could well be people who are either first time players or people that already play an instrument that think, do you know what? I'm going to dabble in another instrument while I've got this free time on my hands or whatever, you know, while I'm not going out and doing things. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be really interesting to kind of, to see how many of those people are still playing those instruments they've bought during that time. And it wasn't just us, by the way. I mean, you know, uh, look at Peloton, the exercise bike, you know, the stock went through the roof and then now it's tanking. So there's enough examples of that. What we don't want. Um, I was doing some calculations the other day that the stay at home orders and the stimulus shifted. I think it was only a couple percent of GDP of us from services to things like because you couldn't go to dinner you couldn't go to disneyland you couldn't get on an airplane and go see your aunt so people bought stuff and small percentage of gdp but it ended up being something like several trillion dollars of money that went from normal things like restaurants and flights and trips to physical things that's trillions of dollars and so the supply chain there was no way there was that much elasticity in the supply chain to to absorb that bump in demand. Then you had lockdowns and factory shutdowns in some areas that even exacerbated it. But this supply chain um, issue is just, it, you know, it's economics 101. You shifted a huge part of the 
the GDP, probably globally, but this was a study in the U.S., from experiences to things. And guess what? People bought things. And our systems weren't robust enough to create that many more things that quickly. Yeah. <laughs> now, the pendulum is now going to swing back the other way because people are going back out to concerts. I mean, again, the bands are out playing again. And... Disneyland is full and the airlines are full and people are going back to the things they missed, like a vacation and experiences. Then that pendulum is going to swing back the other way. We've got to find that middle pendulum where there's a balance. But right now we are still very out of balance because of these distortions caused by the pandemic. So I just think it's a very um, interesting time. And I think the next couple of years will be equally as interesting as the pendulum tries to find its balance um, but make no mistake, we saw a boom in, in many parts of the economy because people had more money to spend and they were forced to stay home. So they spent it. Um, that's, again, some Harvard Business Review study will look back on this in a, some point in the future and, and it'll be clear as day. Right. It'll just be, oh, yeah, that happened. Then that happened. Then it'll be like so logical. But when you're right in the middle of it, it's like hard to see. And that's where we are right now. We're right in the middle of it, I think. No, it's a, it's an incredibly uh, interesting and, and kind of intriguing time for the industry, and I think yeah, it'll be very very uh, interesting to look back in a few years' time and see uh, how we how yeah. we reflect on. We're artists, we're musicians, we're not macroeconomics, you know, majors. <laughs> we're just like trying to figure it out like everyone else, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Joe, thank you so much for for joining us for this. It's been really interesting hearing from you, and um, you know, absolutely can't wait to get out to the show again and. Um, and uh, yeah, really looking forward to it. So thank you very much once again. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.